Amen. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, the second, second gospel, the book of Luke. I'd like to speak to you this morning on being a great father. Uh, you know, on Father's Day, all of us kind of uh, become introspective. We know for sure that God has called all of us as fathers to be prayers. Uh, there are some situations in life that's the only thing we can do. That's all there is left to do. Um, somebody gave me this little thing that somebody in the morning woke up and began to pray, for, pray to God. And it says, uh, Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I've not whined or complained or cursed or eaten any chocolate. I've, I have charged nothing on my credit card, but I'll be getting out of bed in a minute, and I think I'll really need your help then. And so uh, we need the Lord's help, don't we? That's why we ask you to pray, because we all have to get up and face the world. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says... Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Uh, one of the big problems that Jesus always had was his audience. Uh, people didn't like it. Uh, they didn't like the people that were attracted to Christ. And uh, here, here's the, a graphic description of them, tax collectors. They were the most hated people in Israel because they were collecting taxes for Rome. Um, they were collecting taxes for another country. And sinners, they drew near to him. Uh, this means they really pressed in. They really came to hear him. Uh, this was uh, his audience. Uh, and also from time to time, verse number two, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, they were always complaining about the ministry of Jesus. He just couldn't seem to do anything that pleased them. And this was their complaint, one of their major complaints right here. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Just think of it. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Now, when we look back today in, in, uh, with 2020 vision in retrospect, we think, well, we read that thing and we say, well, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to go out and interact with the world, aren't we? And we're supposed to embrace them and try to bring them into our circle. That's what Jesus was doing. But uh, the religious leaders... Pharisees and scribes didn't like that at all. They thought he was doing the wrong thing. And he spoke this parable to them saying, now here we have a trilogy of parables. Uh, some people believe that this is just one single long parable made up of three parts. Uh, others say it's three distinct parables. Uh, so he begins the first one. A parable, by the way, is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we have to be careful that we don't try to take every single thing in the parable and make something spiritual out of it because oftentimes a parable only just means one thing. It's just trying to convey one single message. See if you can pick it up as we go down through this. Uh, uh, verse number four says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness? And, and then go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, that's kind of a rhetorical question. We know, we know the answer to that. Uh, if we have 99 sheep and one of them gets lost, we're going to go find the one that's lost. We, uh, we're, that's the way we're made. We want to hold on to our 
possessions. And uh, in verse 5, and when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders rejoicing. Uh, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Uh, he brought it home, put it over his shoulders. He was willing to bear the burden. Uh, every time I read this passage, it kind of reminds me of that picture. You remember that picture of the footsteps through the sand? And there's like two sets of footsteps, and all of a sudden there's just one set of footsteps. And uh, the, 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 the meaning of it is, well, there are times in our life that Jesus just has to pick us up because we can't even walk. And so, and so here in John chapter 10, verse 11, the Lord says, I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Uh, he put that sheep up on his shoulders and he bore the burden uh, that had to be borne to bring the sheep home. Uh, he called together his friends. It wasn't just a casual reunion. He was excited to find the sheep. And uh, we find the word in verse 4, loses, verse lost. And in verse 4, verse 6, we have lost again. I say unto you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Uh, here's the theme of the, of the, of the three parables. Uh, the joy is, is the theme. Uh, you and I are not supposed to sit passively by and uh, not counted in an important thing when people come to Christ. We're to get happy and jump up and down because that's exactly what they're doing in heaven. Now, there's more joy in heaven. Uh, now, it doesn't say that there isn't uh, joy in heaven over the 99, 99 that are in the fold. It doesn't say that. I think there is because John said there's no greater joy to him than to see his brethren walk in truth. And uh, whenever you see your Christian friends walking in truth, I think it makes you happy, doesn't it? I, it makes God happy also. And so there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons uh, who need no repentance. That means they've already repented. Or what woman? That's the first, that's the first one, second one. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? The houses over there in the Middle East at that particular time didn't have uh, many windows in it because it's so hot. It was deathly hot. It was, they were dark, and so they had to light a light to look around the house. Uh, this particular coin was sentimental. Uh, it was um, kind of synonymous with a wedding ring. I don't know if you've ever been around a lady who lost her wedding, wedding ring. It's not pretty. There's a lot of sentimental value there. The guy says, oh, just get another one. We'll go, we'll get you a better one. Well, I don't want a better one. I want that one. And so this was, uh, uh, this was part of the, uh, the attire of a woman who was married, these ten coins. She lost one. And when she found it, uh, she called her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the, the peace that I'd lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy. Now, here the Lord puts the spiritual application uh, on the end. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God doesn't take it casually when somebody comes to Christ. Uh, heaven is resounding with joy and happiness over somebody who comes to the Lord. Now, meanwhile, we have these grumpy scribes and Pharisees that aren't getting happy about anything that Jesus is doing. And this is the main, this is the main mission that Jesus is on to reach the lost and uh, to bring the world to repentance. 
And so they're standing by with their long faces, and he says, listen, in heaven they're rejoicing over my ministry. There's joy in heaven. Now we get to the big one for this morning, okay? And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him his livelihood. Now I'm sure that you're probably well familiar with this passage. It's the story of the prodigal son. And not many days after the younger son gathered together, he journeyed into a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there are several key things here. He spent all of it. He didn't spend part of it. He didn't save some back. He spent everything he had. Uh, there arose a severe famine in the land. Things went from bad to worse. And he began to be in want. He didn't have any resources at all. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, it couldn't get any worse than this for a young Jewish boy. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him, gave him anything. And when he came to himself, and this is the, and this is the turning point, point right here, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, he began to think of home, have bread enough to eat, and I perish with hunger. Uh, this is where his repentance began. He began to, th he began to say to himself, this, this idea I had was really crazy. Uh, I will arise and I will go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Uh, this is a euphemism right here. They, oftentimes the Jews use this. They didn't like to use the word God. They don't like to use it today. If you see their writings, they'll be writing along and all of a sudden there's a line. Uh, they didn't write God in there. The name is too high and too holy. Uh, they don't even want to try to express it. It's too high for them. Kind of a really neat concept, really is. Uh, and so here, here, this is a euphemism, the word heaven, instead of interjecting that word God. I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Boy, he, um, he not only had good intentions, he carried them out. Uh, the world is filled with good intentions, aren't they? One of these days I'm going to do this. One of these days I'm going to get right with God. One of these days I'm going to get right with my Father. Uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven uh, and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the Father said to the servants, bring, uh, bring out the best robe and put it on him in the ring, and these all mean something. And uh, give him some sandals for his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for my son who was dead and is, is alive again. He was lost and had found. Now here we're going to stop this morning because in verse number 25, uh, the surprise ending starts. And for those of you who like to write in your Bible, write that there by verse 25. This is the surprise ending. And every time I come to this passage of Scripture, I always try to restudy it. I always try to look at these things with new eyes. I try to read as much as I can on the topic. And I'm always thrilled with what the Lord shows me in a new and fresh way. Um, the first parable, uh, 99 were safe, but the shepherds wanted them all to be safe. Uh, C.S. Lewis said one time that uh, joy is the serious business of heaven. 
in heaven this is a joyful place the former things are are put away uh, in our world pain is the serious business of earth tears and heartbreak are the serious business of her c.s lewis says joy is the serious business of heaven uh, there is more joy in heaven uh, as i mentioned before there is i believe strongly joy in god's heart when he looks down and he sees the congregation, his congregations, wherever they're congregated, safe and secure in him, I believe that brings joy to the heart of God. Whenever you look out at your family and you say, okay, this son or this daughter, uh, they're walking with God, that brings joy to your heart. There is no greater joy than that, by the way, is there? You know, we, we have our relatives and our friends and we say, boy, they're doing good in business, that's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, they've really have accomplished a lot. They've made something in their life. They have a great education. That's, that's fine. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But boy, when they're walking with God, it's like, whoa, this is really big. This brings joy to our heart. And so it brings joy to God's heart. The second thing, uh, uh, this custom of women receiving these ten coins at their wedding had a lot of sentimental value. And so uh, she set out to... Uh, recapture that lost coin. Uh, you know, we put a lot of effort, don't we, in, in holding on to our possessions. When we lose something, I'll tell you, I become fanatical at home. When I lose something, I turn the house inside out. It's usually in my pocket at the end of the day. You know, do you find that to be true? Uh, I, I remember one time I lost my cell phone out here in the parking lot, and I thought it was the end of the world. How can you get through the day without the cell phone? My wife says when she dies, she's putting two cell phones in the ca casket with me just so I can communicate, you know, somehow. I was, I was lost my cell phone. I got out of the car. I had, had this big thing, my computer of my arm, and I'm looking under the, listen, I'm looking under the seats for the cell phone all the time. You know where it was? I was talking on it. I was. I was talking on, now you talk. I think I'm slipping. I'm losing it, folks. I really am. I just want you to know that. I, I was talking to my friend down in Miami, and, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm, I've lost my cell phone. <sighs> we go to great lengths to find things that are lost, don't we? <laughs> it's terrible. Now, the, 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 the next loss is great, the son. Uh, the father is the hero of the story. Somebody said we shouldn't call this the parable of the prodigal son. We should call it the parable of the loving father. He's the hero. Uh, the son is just the beneficiary. The younger son is the returning sinner. The other son, listen to this, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little snippet into the surprise ending. The other son represents the Pharisees. Uh, he's close at home. Uh, he had all the benefit of all the, all the father's blessings, but his attitude was bad. He had a bad attitude. Uh, he was a troubled kid. You know, the father and son relationship is a wonderful thing. You know, we had these pictures up here this morning. You see the dad out there with a fishing rod, and that. those are precious times. In verse number 11, we find, that we find this uh, as, as he opens the story here. Verse 11, there was a certain man. That's God the Father. And, you know, I've heard all sorts of teaching on this, and I've heard people embellish it to no end and create another story. It's almost like a movie. I'm not going to do that this morning. Why do I think the son left? Uh, obviously, uh, he, he wanted to do his own thing. That's why most sons leave. Uh, I need to get out. There's too many rules here. Uh, I don't like the suppression of this place. I'm going to get out and see if I can make it on my own. Uh, 
And so we have then the son's request. We finally, we got that. The son's request. Give me what's mine. You might want to write it there, Deuteronomy 21.17, because that's the, that's the standard in the Old Testament for the dispers- dispersion of the dispersal uh, of, the, uh, of the fortune of the family. The older son gets two-thirds. The younger son just gets one-third, but he said, okay, I'll take my money and leave. And from all of my reading, uh, I think it was okay for him to do that. Sometimes in our culture, uh, people do disperse their livelihood before they die. Uh, Give me what's mine. And so he gathered it together. He turned it into liquid assets, and, uh, and he went on his way. And in verse 13, he went far away from his father's house. He was looking for freedom. But, you know, when you're bent on sin, uh, there is no freedom in store for you. Sin always brings bondage. It really does. Uh, Walking with God always brings freedom. When you walk with the Lord, you can be freer and freer and freer as you continue to walk with the Lord because uh, that's just uh, what he comes to do for us. Well, you know, we don't have a lot of insight into what went on in his life, and I'm glad of that. You know, I don't like to get into the gory details of, of the depths of people's sin. But we do have just a, a little thought here given to us by uh, none other than the big Pharisee himself at home. Verse 30, take a peek over there. But as soon as this son of yours came, he wouldn't even call him his brother. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured his livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. We do have a little snippet. Uh, and if this is true... Uh, he spent his, a lot of his money there. And you can read between the lines. But, you know, somebody bent on spending money can really spend a lot of money quick. You know that? Uh, and, and the interesting thing about it is this, is that, uh, uh, you know, he, he was kind of like the lottery winner. You know, when some of those people win the lottery, they don't have any conception of money. They didn't learn it. They just got it. And so they throw it away. You know, your money that's earned... Uh, means a whole lot more to you than something you got for nothing. And so the next thing we have is the depths of his fall. Uh, He fell into sin and self-indulgence. He spent all. It didn't take him long. And after that, he had to go look for a job feeding pigs. Uh, I'm sure that was not a part of the vision of his life. How many people do you not? And I know we have a good man that comes on Saturday night to our service. He said, my son is in prison. He's in prison. He's, sold, he's selling drugs. I'm going to get him out. But he worries about getting him out because he has a, a feeling that he'll probably get back right in there again. Uh, not part of the vision of his life at one time. And here's this young boy. Up, he probably had a greater vision than this. He hit the bottom. Uh, you know, afflictions bring people to God, or at least they should. Whenever afflictions come to our life, uh, we can we can make two choices. We can run to God or we can run away from God. And he made the right decision. He turned in the right direction. Uh, Hebrews 11.25, you know, there's no better verse than that to plug into this right here. 
Moses said, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin for a season. If there was ever a verse that we could put over the prodigal son, it would be that, the passing pleasure of sin for a season. I think when he was passing out money and doing all his thing and doing his crazy living, uh, he was probably getting a pretty good high out of this, a pretty neat feeling from time to time. But it was so short-lived. Passing pleasure of sin for a season. Moses turned, he came to himself too one day and, 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 and turned in the right direction. He was starving to death. When his money ran out, his friends ran out. The world didn't meet his need. Uh, his desire to run wild left him empty. And uh, we have here in the Bible the depth of his repentance. This guy really did repent. He did. Uh, always remember this. The word repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Let's say that together. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. Actions are changed by the change of our mind. I remember one day in my life, I, I made a change in a particular area, and I changed. I said, that's it. That's it. I'm changing. Uh, I changed my mind. And, uh, you know, when you change your mind, it's easy to change your action. It really is. And that's what happened here. He came to himself. He changed his mind. Uh, you know, when a person is on the bottom, it's a good place to start up, and he was in the right place. I'm going to make this thing right. I, uh, I can't live like this. You know, I, as I was studying through this passage of Scripture, I, I began to think about John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was baptizing people, and he, he had these people come out to hear him, and he said, listen, I'll baptize you, but first of all, you have to show me some fruit of your repentance. Don't just tell me you repented. I want some, I want some fruit. I want some evidence of your repentance. Um, and, and I think that, that this guy was thinking about that, you know, it's one thing to just say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf. It's another thing to show evidence of our repentance. Years ago, when I got out of Bible college and came over to the church here, I had a friend in Bible college. His name was Ernie Medlin. Ernie was a young kid. He was going to go to Vietnam, and that's when the Vietnam War was on. He was going to go to Vietnam as a, as a missionary, and we, we all tried to talk him out of it. And we said, Ernie, you're crazy. I mean, people are dying to get out of, the, out of going to Vietnam. You want to go there? He says, well, you know, if God's called me there, don't you think he'll protect me? I don't know, but I don't think you should go anyway, Ernie. <laughs> My faith wasn't as big as his. And he says, you know, I know you're going back to Pittsburgh, and you're going to try to have a church there. And, and my dad lives in Homestead, right by the high-level bridge. And, and he and my mother divorced years ago, and he's kind of like a hermit. I'd like to see him come to God. And you know, when you're 26 years old, you think you can bring anybody to God. You know, I mean, that's just tell me who it is. Turn me in the right direction. I'll get him. And so I said, yeah, when I go back to, when I go back to uh, Homestead, uh, I'll go look up your dad. And I, so, so he lived on one of those streets, right up, you know, high-level bridges here. And all those streets go up. And I forget what, what one it was, but he's about halfway up. I, I can visualize the house to this day. Knocked on the door, and I said, I'm a friend of your son's. I went to Bible college with him. And boy, that opened the door. Come on in. Uh, uh, his son told me, you know, my dad, he lives by himself. He doesn't have a car. Uh, and really, he drinks all the time. When he's not working, he drinks. He's a good worker, but he drinks all the time. And uh, maybe you can do something with him. And I said, well, you know, 
I didn't know what to do with him. And so I said, well, you know, why don't you come to church? And I said, I'll come over and pick you up. And then after I left, I thought, I have to go pick him up now. <laughs> I said, holy cow. And so for years, listen, we picked him up. We get up early, drive to Homestead. He'd come walking out of his house, get in the car. We'd bring him to church over in the little building in, in the library. Bring him to church. Do you remember him, Patty? Uh, we'd bring him to church, and then we had to take him home again. And then when my kids got their license, they did it. They, they picked him up. They went over. They picked Mr. Medlin up. And so he always stopped at the Allegheny Airport out there. I think he bought him donuts and things. It was a pretty nice thing. But his life really began to change. He, he, he stopped being a hermit. And he found a spiritual home at the church. And he began to grow in God. And he told me one time, you know, he said, I've started to tie my income to the Lord. And, and I'm giving beyond my income because I, I took money off of God so many years. I just want to return it. I said, oh, buy this big. I said, would you give your testimony in church one of these days about that? No, I didn't say that. I wanted to. I don't believe a person has to do that. I'd just be thankful they start at the right time, you know, whenever they come to God. But, but he wanted to, uh, the point is this, he wanted to prove his repentance. I believe in that. I really do. Uh, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate myself saying to people, I love God. Or I don't appreciate myself, me saying to God, I love you. I like to say to God, Lord, I want to prove my love to you. I'm here to prove to you that I love you. That makes me, uh, that makes me feel good. That makes, makes me feel like it's really real. You know, we can say all sorts of things, but I, but I think it's important. And that's, that, I think he did too. He says, listen, I don't even, I don't even want my old room back. Uh, I don't want my television. Uh, just put me out with the servants. That'll be fine with me. And so the thing, that really, the thing that really changed him is the fact that he did what he, wanted, what he said he was going to do in his mind. He started back home. I love this story. Can you imagine the fear and the uncertainty of his reception at home? Will my father really receive me? Or will he tell me to get lost? I've heard him so deeply. Um, he went home. He said, I'll arise, I'll go home, and this is what I'm going to say. And, you know, that's exactly what he did. Uh, look at verse number 20. And he rose and came to the father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And, boy, you know, he could have sidestepped the whole issue here, but, you know, he purposed in his mind that he was going to repent. And this is what he did. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I've not only sinned against you, God, or you, Father, but I've sinned against uh, God as well. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, the father stops him here at this point. I guess maybe he, uh, he just interrupted. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't want to embellish the story, but uh, the father probably had a routine of, of uh, looking out at the horizon, hoping that his son would return one day, because there's no real father that, uh, that has a heart for his kids that doesn't want him to return, be a part of the house. Somebody asked uh, the first President Bush, uh, 
oh, what he loved most about life. And he said one time on television that my kids still come home. That's what he loved most about life. My kids still come home. Uh, there's something in our heart, man. There's that bond there. And so uh, I can see uh, this boy coming home kind of uh, tentatively, wondering, if, will he be accepted? And to his utter surprise, here comes his father. His father sees him coming, and, <laughs> and he started to run. And for those of you who have studied the passage, you know that that was uh, inappropriate in that day. It was undignified for a man to run in public. He didn't care. He started to run toward his son, and, and he grabbed him, and he started kissing him. And in the original language, this word kissing, it was like a kiss fest right here. I mean, he just wouldn't stop kissing. He was so happy. And I think if we could go back and interview the father right here, he'd probably say, this was the happiest day of my life. The day my lost son came home. Can I have an Amen. And, and he was happy about it. Now, remember, you know who the, who the character is. The character is God. And God is happy when one sinner repents. He really is. He rolls out the red carpet. He, wow. He gives a, a robe, and that means honor, and a ring, that, that, that means authority. And the shoes, that means freedom. Uh, the slaves didn't wear shoes. Just the free people did. And so the son is free again, and and you've heard it said before that everything the son really wanted was already there at home in the, in the first place. He just left it. The surprise ending. Uh, there, you know, when, whenever I think of the, this parable, I, I think the prodigal son, he was, he was just a troubled kid like some of us were in the church. But there, in that home, there were two troubled kids, not just the prodigal son. His brother was troubled too. One was outward and one was inward. Uh, one let it out, the other internalized it. There were two troubled sons. Uh, the older son was angry at all this attention that his uh, younger son was getting when he came home. He was unforgiving and judgmental. Uh, he was a perfect picture of the Pharisee. Uh, you know, each one of these stories uh, tells something important. Um, the sheep uh, was lost, the shekel was lost, the son was lost. But, uh, but the percentage all went up as the three stories unfolded. Uh, the great verse of Scripture that I, that I love and I quote often is Luke 19.10. Let's, let's read it together, okay? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, the Pharisees didn't understand this very much. Boy, Jesus, remember I, I was reading just the other day, he was praying and and he came down off the mountain. He says, listen, I'm going on a preaching mission. I'm just going to go preaching to people. They, they need me. And that's the Lord's mission. Uh, the Pharisees didn't understand that. They, they thought that God just sat around and, kind of, uh, and accepted people when they came to him. They, they had a hard time understanding that God wasn't sitting around. That he was out there seeking and saving the lost. And that's what Jesus was doing. And Jesus was seeking and saving the lost. Uh, where do you fit in the story today? Uh, are you a prodigal son? Uh, are you, have you left? And, and uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, you've heard him all the time. He, he always lives on the radio. He, he died many years ago. They keep playing his tapes. 
but in his commentary, he says he believes that, this, uh, that the greatest application of this story is not to the lost that's really lost, it's to the lost within the church. Uh, the lost people that have, that have come to Christ and have backslidden and have gone away from the Father's house. I think it can apply, though, to both, of course. Uh, the application is to both. But, you know, in every church, and our church is no exception, uh, there are people who, who come to church and fall in love with the Lord and turn their back on the Lord and uh, go, their, go their way. Uh, but God is still interested in them. In them. And we can't act like the Pharisees and say, hey, listen, they can come back when they want. I'll tell you, God wants them to come back now. And if they come back, uh, he, is, he is happy for their return. And so do you know somebody, some of your friends that have checked out on God, they made a commitment of their life to Christ, they're backslidden. I want you to put them in your circle of concern too. Not only with those people that haven't made a decision for Christ, but for those who have, maybe they've lived for God for a number of years, but now they're, they're out of the loop, so to speak. Uh, they want to do their own thing. Pray they'll come back. And oftentimes when they come back, they're stronger than ever. Uh, Jesus is concerned. He's looking for them. He's seeking and saving the lost. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, I'd like to uh, ask you to look into your heart. Uh, where do you fit in the story? Uh, maybe you're here in the church and maybe you're like the second son. Uh, you never left the church, but you never, you really don't have a close affinity with your fellow Christians and you're not really in touch with your father who is God. You just kind of are judgmental. You, know, you sit around and pick at things. This isn't right or that isn't right or this person isn't doing this. And, um, and while, while you could be using that energy uh, in productive ways, uh, in ways that are important. Uh, maybe you're here today in the church and maybe, maybe uh, physically you're here, but in your heart you, uh, you're a long way from God. Uh, your heart, uh, you have another life and God knows about it, but maybe your friends at the church don't. Well, I want to encourage you to come back to God today. Come back home. Uh, you might say, well, God won't receive me. You don't know what I've done. Well, he will receive you because uh, his grace extends to every one of us uh, to the uttermost. Someone said one time that he saved us from the guttermost to the uttermost, uh, from, the, from the depths of sin to the heights of forgiveness. That's our God. He's the hero of the story. Dear Lord, as we come to uh, the service, the end of the service now, and as we sing, I pray that you'll move upon us. Lord, if there are people in our church that just need to come and get honest with you in this service today and come back to you, maybe their heart's been far from you, maybe they've been in the, in the proximity of the house of God, but, but their heart has not been in touch with you lately, Lord. I pray that they may come back because I know you're looking for them. I pray, Lord, that as we have the invitation that you'll just give us grace to make decisions. If there are people in our church this morning that have... Uh, that want to come and unite with the church and be a part of this church or present themselves for baptism. Maybe, maybe they're saved, Lord, but they've never followed you in baptism. I pray that they'll come as well. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we uh, sing to the Lord, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's a, that's a great uh, ending for our service today. And I want to encourage you uh, to, to make that decision. Whenever the prodigal son made that decision, everything turned around for him and he was restored. And so as we sing, would you come?